0: Nozo, <laughs> how's it going?
1: All good. All good. Enjoyed listening to, you know, following your exploits in Vegas.
0: They were something, weren't they?
2: <laughs> Demetrius, what's going on? You're what's going on, Nate. You're hitting them good, man. Seriously. Uh, that's really exciting. I, uh, I'm i glad in the middle of all the work you do to promote pool uh, that you get a chance to participate in this fine leisure pastime. So good job. Yeah. Bar table valleys. woo
0: <laughs> nothing more fun than playing uh some uh valley bar
2: table pool huh well i heard, just they, in t- case. I heard
1: they tightened up the packets up there to six inches
2: i was gonna say yeah. you'll be ready if, you'll be you'll be ready if you ever play a bathroom event oh come on <laughs> i'm just taking a shot i know they're tightening up the tables i'm just taking a shot <laughs> you no know,
0: your guys's words hurt you
2: know
0: <laughs> It's just so rude all right all of it's well warranted uh let's get jumped into some pool because I basically have been MIA since, uh, well, I guess two weeks ago. And it is because I was playing in the VNEA world championships or whatever the heck they call it. I think that's what they call it. Uh, And I was, I had every intention of doing a podcast live from out there. And then to be honest with you, I I forgot. You kind of just lose track of the days when you're in Vegas and you know, when you're there for 12 days, no days really seem the same. And I honestly just lost track of what day it was. And I realized on Wednesday afternoon that, holy buckets, I didn't do a podcast this week. And I'm kind of like, I'm okay with this. Not bad. Fine. So it was nice to take a little break, I guess. Uh, And hopefully everybody's okay with that. Uh, I played a lot of pool. It was fun. So let's get jumped into what happened while we were gone. Uh, let's start out with, I guess, do we want to start out with the Sandcastle Open?
2: Yeah, I think I think Greg deserves a shout out for this. Yeah, go ahead, Nate. Yeah.
0: Go Greg Hogue. That's like that's pretty cool. Greg Hogue wins the Sandcastle Open and runs through the B-side beating, I, I mean, I guess every, every big name um, that went to that event uh, for the most part.
2: Pretty cool for him. Uh, where, well, where is the stand? I don't even know where that's located. Edison, it, New, Edison Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
1: A little bit outside of New York. Um, yeah. And then he beat Danny Olson in the final. Good event for Danny Olson.
2: What what was the format? Was it a big table, I would assume, in New Jersey? Yeah. And uh, was it 10 ball or 9 ball?
1: It was 9 ball. It was actually a, a matchroom ranking event.
2: Okay. That's right. So, so that's the one American where Oscar took third. Okay.
1: Yeah. Oscar got third. And Jason didn't. And neither of them were happy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Jason ended up losing to uh, Derek Daya. Daya? I don't exactly know who that is. I probably should since he ended up going on to beating uh, Raymond Linares afterwards. And he's a great player. He beats uh, Lucas Francisco Werner, who's been hitting him really, really good. Uh, He must obviously be a great player. Um. Yeah, I hmm. guess. Danny, oh, Greg Hogue didn't come through the B side. Why did I think he went through the B side? Yeah, he no, won I the A side, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. This, so this is, yeah, I, I knew didn't that he, he would beat, won. It, but...
1: Didn't he? Didn't he beat Oscar in the uh, hat seat?
0: Yeah, and then he beat him yeah. again in the finals. Oh, well, no, sorry, no. He, didn't, he beat Danny Olson yeah. in the finals, but right, right, by the same scoreline, seven-five. That's that's a pretty incredible finish for Greg Hogue.
1: Yeah, great, great job by him.
0: And he had to play on top of it. He had to play Danny Olsen in the the second round too. So he beat Danny Olsen twice, and Danny so then Danny, came Danny
2: came back all the way through the B side. Good for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at uh, some of uh, Greg's wins. Uh, Levy Lampin. Uh, he's a local player to there, but he's, he's he hit some really, really, really strong. He beat Jonas, Jonathan Jonathan Hennessy, the fastest player in pools ever known. <laughs> Oscar Dominguez, Danny Olson. I mean, if you want to talk about having to go through the the top players, I mean, the only top player he didn't play, I guess, is Shane Wolford and um, uh, J- uh, Jason. So go Spanky.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah,
2: heck of a win, man. That's good for him.
0: And, well, I guess I don't want to, like, just not give him his credit and then move on to something that's uh, surrounding it. But I guess that, that's kind of the takeaway, I, I, I think, from this event is we are now to the point where um, Oscar Dominguez kind of made a post afterwards and kind of said like man, I hope I make the team because if not this is you know I'm I'm basically bleeding money by going to all these events, taking third place, making 1200 bucks and then losing 800 on the trip. So I guess Pinozo, well actually let, let's let's go with you Demetrius because this is kind of well, I don't want to say that you're a, a money bleeder, but uh, you've mentioned on the podcast that the the events that you choose to partake in, you're not exactly favored to to make money on them so why don't you why don't you take it away what it's like to actually do this
2: yeah it's it's so what just to kind of zoom in on what oscar said you know Oscar would like to make the Moscone cup team you know he's not a spring chicken anymore he's only got so many years at the top of his game and he'd like to get out and compete and represent our country so the way to do that is to you know you have to have a certain number of moscone cup points that you earn through cashes in the moscone events um so so he's trying to play those events that so the the problem is and this is not just a problem with moscone cup this is actually a problem that a lot of pool players face is that um opportunity you know uh you have to go to all these events because if you can only afford to go play three events but you're up against a bunch of guys that have the backing to go to 10 events well then even if you outperform them on a tournament by tournament basis you might lose just through sheer volume of at bats so he is really trying to get to the Moscone Cup team. So he's making an investment where he's going to play all these tournaments and each trip, you know, one of the things that makes it really tough in the United States is travel is very expensive. I mean, inflation is a real thing, hotel and airfare, you know, he's spending $2,000 to go play a tournament where he plays a tournament with a bunch of strong players, fights his way to third place. The prize money is 1200. So he loses $800 to spend a weekend competing, um, which means you know, he's giving up not just money, but time too. He's leaving his business. He's the opportunity cost is a huge thing too, that a lot of people don't realize. And so anyway, he spends a lot of money to go play. And he's been doing this event after event and he's out there spending thousands of dollars, losing money. And, and, uh, just to try to earn enough wins to get on the Moscone cup team. And so the concern, his concern is, man, if, you know, if he doesn't get on the team, then he just lost, you know, a lot. And And, and I think, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that. And I just want to kind of spell it out for people that aren't super dialed into that scene. So it's it's a tough situation um, to where his opinion, you know, and, and there's a lot of people that feel that our Moscone Cup sh- qualify, uh, qualification process should highlight our best players and not the players that have the deepest pockets in terms of being able to lose money. You know, like it's, it shouldn't be a bidding war of who's willing to lose the most money over the course of the year, accumulating points in tournaments that don't pay for themselves. I guess that's that's the feel. also what do you think?
1: Well, I, I think there's a lot more to it than that, Demetrius, on, in, 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 in this specific case, uh, because I don't think Oscar minds spending to chase Muscone Cup, um, and I kind of disagree with you a little bit on. know deepest pockets no if if you're if you can only afford to go to three tournaments but you finish higher than everybody else in those three tournaments you should be able to go to should be able to afford to go to a fourth tournament if you're playing that well because the prize money should be there so you know you you have to invest in the chase no matter what level player are and you're not going to get to that level unless you're playing in all these events that's just an aside as far as this particular event i think what what hurt Oscar the most is that uh, he didn't get what he thought he was gonna get. And that is, it was billed as a $5,000 added event. And a lot of players didn't read redefine print and it said based on entries. I-, I can't believe in 2022 pro events are doing added money based on entries. I thought that was a thing from pre 2000 that went away a long time ago. So I can't even believe someone did that then there were green fees on top of that at a pro tournament. Okay. Don't buy that either. So now the prize, the added prize money got chopped down to 2,500, which affects all the top, you know, uh, prizes and he was playing for the hot seat and the final payouts still hadn't even been decided yet or even been published yet. So, there is no way in the world, and I agree with them 100%, that a Moscone or a, a matchroom ranking nine balls, professional nine ball tournament, should have those kind of things happen to them where you're cutting the added money, where you're adding a greens fee, where you're not telling people what they're going to make. So then in the end, he made $1,200 for third place when in a normal tournament with $5,000 added, he might make 3000 two thousand three you know twenty five hundred something like that okay so now if it comes to the end of the year and he misses moscone cup by seven hundred dollars because he chased a tournament that only 32 players went to and he was doing his job i would be pretty hacked off um so from that standpoint i think that's the biggest gripe that jason shaw also was very vocal after the tournament and that um uh, Oscar was very vocal about, um, was that, you know, you, if they're telling you what the opportunity is, it better, the opportunity, it better be the opportunity that they've told you about. And, um, you know, as someone here mentioned, how about Mantrum adding 10,000 for every event they sanction, Mantrum's allowing people to be part of the equation, right? So they shouldn't add money to it. They should demand that, that if you want to be in our ranking system, you have to add a minimum of $10,000. And I would that's think going forward, we're going to get right to that there. point, you know, or otherwise, you know, you you don't earn ranking points at that event. So, you know, that's a good way to protect the players as well. Um So, you know, that that's kind of my view of it.
0: Demetrius?
2: Well, yeah, and I, I guess I was just kind of thinking about it. You know, I, I think that what we wish... And I don't don't disagree with anything Mike had to say, and I appreciate you calling attention to it. It's not about the money for the dollar amount so much as it's about the money earned towards the Moscone rankings. I appreciate the clarification. You know, I guess for me, you know, it's just it's easy for everybody in the chat or anybody listening or looking at it to be like, well, why don't we just have more money or why don't we have it? But the problem is it's the costs have just gone up. You know, it's like there's no there's no magical pot of gold that we could just borrow from for pool you know travel is very expensive right now i mean hotels it just hotels are very very pricey airfare is very very pricey and so when you spend you know when you have to spend 1200 dollars for a three-day tournament between airfare and hotel or getting from uber to the whatever it's just now it's, suppose you've got 100 players to go to a tournament well that's uh, 100 times 12 uh you know a, a thousand i mean you're talking about 100 over a hundred thousand dollars in travel expenses from all the players. And so where does, how do you make it so that people can be profitable when, when you're, if you look at like the average player, you have a hundred players, you know, you're in for over a hundred thousand in expenses. You got all these players coming here. Now they're all looking, saying, okay, now give us payouts to where we can all make money. It's like, well, your entry fees are a few hundred. How are we going to pay out over a hundred thousand dollars in entries to, to make it profitable? Clearly, this is a losing equation. So a lot of people are going to be losing a lot of money to go to pool tournaments. And that's why, you know, I, I talk about it being a struggle of, you know, kind of deep pockets. There's a reason why the players that are traveling around typically are young. Oftentimes they don't have children or or jobs because the, the amount of sacrifice it takes to go play uh, it's going to rule out people that have, you know, that have more obligations. Um, and so it's, it's already kind of, it's, but that's not really anybody, it's nobody set it up that way. That's just the nature of the world we live in where it, you know, that's that's how things work. And so I, I do empathize with Oscar, especially though, because he does have a business and he does have children and he is, he is, has a lot on his plate. So it's it's a big sacrifice for him to make to go out and, and try to do this. And so I guess I guess to your point, Mike, we can't magic, we can't wave a magic wand and make it easy for people, but we can have full disclosure so that people know what they're getting when they go places and when they make these decisions. So nobody should have to make a huge sacrifice and then be told that it was kind of a, a dead end, yeah.
1: Yeah, they got the rug pulled out from under them and that that's just, it's not fair and it's not professional. And and uh, and I would think that, you know, I, I actually pinged Matt room about the event and asked what their thoughts were on it. And, and uh, Emily responded that, you know, they've heard about it, they're looking into it. They wanna, you know, they, they would be troubled if all that was true. Uh, but they're going to do their due diligence before they come out, you know, and respond to it. And I think what you're going to find out is if you want to be a points tournament in 2023, there's going to be some better, stiffer guidelines that you have to measure up to. And that's that's fine. And it's still going to be hard on players and they're still going to have to spend a lot of money chasing those dreams. But that's the way it is in any professional sport. I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't make money if you finish one hundred and twenty eighth. I mean, you know, come on, this is you, you've got to get in there, and if you want to be the best, it's going to cost you. There's investment to do that. So, um, you know, I still think that the system that's that's that they're trying to help put together is the right one. They just have to tweak it and fine tune it. And things like this, just you you know, you can make. I, I give everybody the a, a first mistake. Just don't make the same mistake twice.
0: I would tend to agree with that. what do you guys think about, uh, I, I guess not trying to pull us completely out of this discussion, but what do you guys think about having a player auction at one of these types of events?
1: The Calcutta's? Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's pool in America. I mean, that's, that's, and it really, um, that's just side action for people who want to gamble on match. It's, it's, it's paramutual betting essentially i mean the, the players a lot of them get a little piece of it but you know not all of them are are actually invested out of pocket into it so um it's just like someone else adding money to the event only the players don't get much of it <laughs> yeah
2: i i think it you know there's a lot of concerns about like you know a lot of people have ideas about you know what image the sport needs to be successful and then what image calcutta's have to me you know i guess i'm more I'm more old school where I I look at it kind of like Mike does where, you know, if, if you don't want public betting at a matchroom event, that's one thing, but this is like a qualifying event. And what happens stays there. You know, it, it's like, and even at matchroom, I'll tell you, um, just ask Molina, Mike, like he, he bets on matches all the time. Like betting is a part of pool. And I think it's a big part of pool. And so, if you don't want to – I mean, honestly, I think that there's a lot of room to publicly endorse it and incorporate it with what we're doing. I think that might be good for the game. But even if we think it's bad for the game, um, I don't think you're going to stop betting. So all you can do is just say, hey, the Calcutta is being run independently. It has nothing to do with our event. We're putting on this event. Here's what we're doing. If you all want to bet on the side, you know, what do what you want to do. Yeah.
0: So then the I, – I guess based off of what you're saying there, is that – does that – fundamentally change the way that Calcuttas are executed? Meaning like, meaning like if it's, it's completely off to the side, it's independent. Should the players still have the opportunity to buy their half?
2: Well, people, I mean, should is a weird word. I, that in, it implies a lot of entitlement, um, I think if it's independent players, you know, people that are running Calcutta's can do whatever they want. They can take money out of the Calcutta. They can, they can allow players to buy half themselves or not. They can, they can do whatever they can. They sometimes they auction off the field. Other times if nobody bids on a player, they just keep the field as a free roll for the tournament director, you know, for whoever's running the Calcutta. I think as long as it's disclosed up front, they say, Hey, here's what we're doing. And then people can participate or not participate. And that can be policed socially, not, not, you know, through some kind of, you know, official means.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the opportunity for players to make a little more money by all the expenses they have to pay to go to a tournament that's got a four thousand dollar first prize. I mean, you go to a lot of these tournaments. And the Calcutta is three times the size of the prize fund, uh, so you know it's opportunity.
0: Well, I'll say this. Um, well, we're gonna we're gonna get into this because obviously you can make a lot of money with these four thousand dollar event tournaments because we're we're watching Fedor basically create generational wealth by playing in all these events. So <laughs> we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but um, yeah, I guess at, at this point, uh, is there anything else that we want to talk about for the Sandcastle
2: Open?
1: No, not for me. I just think, you know, it was unfortunate the way it went down. Um, and, you know, for for pro events that, that are trying to reach a certain level, uh, this this really can't happen anymore.
0: Yeah, I, I mean I feel I feel a little bit for the promoters because uh at the end of the day, like if, if you only get thirty two players or whatever it is, I mean you're you're kind of if you're if you're planning on adding five thousand dollars to an event, you're planning on having X amount of people there to eat and drink and you know, blah blah blah. Um, you know, if Shane Van Boning would have showed up, I'm sure he would've gotten fifty five more people into the door to watch Shane play. You know, at the end of the day, like um I, I, I guess you gotta you gotta try to save some money if you can, but I think at the end of the day, I think if we gotta get to the point where these are guaranteed added events. Like this is what you're adding. You're not adding more, you're not adding less. This is what you're adding, and there is no wiggle room. I think that's that's hundred
1: percent. I mean yeah. Be, yeah. based on should be a thing of the past, or for really small regional tournaments. It's the only yeah. the only way it should have any impact.
0: Yeah, I don't I definitely do not disagree with that. Demetrius. Well, I- oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nate. I'm sorry. No, I was I was inviting you.
2: Oh yeah, and and I, I agree, and I think we'll I'll think like like Mike said, we'll learn from this. We'll grow from this. One one thing I wanted to mention about a Calcutta, I think that there's a lot of really strong benefits. Uh, by the way, Kyle mentioned taking money out of the Calcutta is questionable. Uh, i I don't disagree. I prefer they don't. but uh, I, I should say I prefer that they don't, especially if I'm bidding in it. But I think that there's, so what I love about the Calcutta is it does a few things, three things that I can think of through the free market that solve our biggest problem some of our biggest problems pool. it helps players make more money that's a good thing like we're trying to figure out ways to help players make more money well the calcutta can do that the next thing is it creates engagement with the viewers you know when people buy players of the calcutta they are going to stick around the venue and watch those matches and you know spend more money and be more you know we're going to get more people in seats so you're going to have more viewers and more engaged viewers That's two good things. So, I mean, when you think about how do we pay players more, how do we get more people watching? Well, that's, it's accomplishing those two things. The third thing that I really, really, really love about Calcutta's is that it's a form of, of absolute free market handicapping. So instead of having handicapping tournaments where we're going to say, this guy's that and this guy's racing this, and we're just going to try to kind of switch it all around. And then nobody ever likes it, at least, and I I hardly ever play in these events because I can't stand it. But with the Calcutta, you've get the best of both worlds. If you're a top player, you can fight your way into the prize money more often than if you're not in the top of the field. However, if you're in middle of the pack or even, you know, lower part of the pack, well, you could buy a 10 or $20 lottery ticket, have a Greg Hogue run and have the tournament of your life and end up making a ton of money. And so the market handicaps. So if you think that you're overrated, well then don't buy half yourself. And if you think you're underrated, then buy yourself. And then it's an absolutely fair. It's like one of the most fair means of handicapping around because People, you make your own handicap and then you have a chance. It's a way that lower, lower in the pack players have a chance of making big payouts for with a really big rate of return. I mean, my when I went to Olathe with Josh, he sold in the nine ball, the bar table nine ball. He sold for like 20 bucks. He got in the Calcutta. He made like 800. It was awesome. You know, I'm like, I don't know why nobody bought him. But and the point is, it's like, so, OK, so you get views, you get you get money to players and it's a form of handicapping. On the side where you don't have to handicap and compromise the integrity of the event to achieve some type of handicapping that helps players throughout the whole field so it does so many good things i just think it's i think calcuttas are good well they they, they can do a lot of bad things too <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean how many times have you seen
0: somebody you know playing their buddy in the finals who you know you have them in the calcutta and, they don't <laughs> all in the calcutta and some weird thing you know there's there's integrity issues there that
2: you could also okay we've all seen those horror stories right
1: yeah so but i'll tell you
2: what i'll tell you this i have played i don't know if i've played 100 tournaments with calcutta's but probably and there's only been like once or twice that i've really so i mean of course it's possible however if you look at like would you say that happens you know in my opinion like okay i came from a corporate world we always had this rule if you ran into a problem with something you know, like say a system didn't work the way it was supposed to, or somebody in another department let you down. There was always the 5% rule, which was if, if, if this happens more than 5% of the time, and we could point to three, four, five examples over the last week or two where this is broke down, then let's bring it to the other department and the head of the other department and say, Hey, we've got, you know, some recurring issues cropping up with some of your team where they're not doing their job in this way. But if it's like one issue once where it's like, well, that guy dropped the ball that time. I want to complain about it. I, our, our division, you know, we'd be like, no, no, we're not bringing that. To, we're not going to bring that up because if it's not recurring and if it's not, if it's, if it's less than, if it's less than 5% of the time, we call that a one-off and we tell our guys to just get a grip and deal with it. And so I feel like with Calcutta's anything funny that goes on, it's by far the exception, not the rule. I would put it as less than 5%. And I would say I've seen stuff in my life, but it's been like, once or twice out of a 25-year full career? I mean, do you think it's more than 5% or do you think it's a one-off?
0: No, I I, I definitely don't think one-off. But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's kind of a – you get you get a certain crowd, right? A certain crowd will work on buying each other, right? So you, you get into these groups where, you know, you have three or four road dogs and you're all riding together and you're all blah, blah, blah. And what, what ends up happening is – You get to the point where you get to the calcutta you get to the the event and whichever one they feel has the best value they're gonna basically like this person goes on right and they're gonna put all of their their shells in that person now whether whether they link up and they play deep in tournaments to where it really matters uh you know that's that's here or there but um i've seen it happen a lot with you know certain groups of people especially at the (laughs) wspa especially at the the wspa um state event in wisconsin there's like there's about four people that are all you know top wisconsin players and what they end up doing basically is once they get deep into a tournament they have to play each other they find out who has the most of themselves in the calcutta and then they just They just—they don't even play the match. They'll forfeit it. I've seen it happen so many times where they don't even play a match. They just forfeit out based off of who has the most in each uh, into the
1: it becomes savers at that point. Well, you know the the whole idea—the whole whole idea with the whole idea with building professional sport is you get it to a point where all this stuff goes away. Sure, and it's hopefully you know if the players get to the point where this is not impacting them, you know, you hold guns to their head and say they can't do it, and it goes away. So uh, it's part and parcel with where we are as a sport right now. And it's not going to go away anytime soon. But, you know, that's what we, you know, these, you have all these little things along the way that you want to change. This will be one of them that's a little further down the road.
2: Sure. Yeah. And I think that one of the funny parts, too, is is that if you're Oscar Dominguez and you're playing for Moscone Cup points, you're not going to dump a match to try to scoop money into Calcutta. You're there to, for the Moscone Cup points. So I guess one of the issues yeah. with Calcutta's is, if the if there's if the benefits of winning the tournament are so trivial in terms of prize money and prestige that people are like yeah I'll, I'll, I don't care I mean this is just some local Wisconsin blah 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 you know whatever I'll I'll dump that to make an extra three hundred bucks then that, then, then maybe the issue is that the Calcutta is disproportionately important compared to the tournament. Whereas, right. whereas if you had it to where the tournament was prestigious, like look at Greg, I will tell you that that's got to be his career moment. And he's going to be glowing about that for the rest of his life. That is a lifetime achievement. And, and that, he wouldn't give that up for five hundred or a thousand dollars. And so you want it set up to where the tournament, the prestige, the tournament and the and the and the payouts and the and the whatever are enough. That ranking it, point, I think th- th- and, and even but I mean not every event in the country can have Bosconi ranking points and not everyone cares, but like the prestige of the win has to be greater than the Calcutta other- and otherwise you create opportunity for that stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: Yep. Oh, I, I do want to give a shout out because I saw um Lonnie Fox in here. So hi Lonnie Fox. She was my partner, my oh, last nice. second fill-in partner at the, the VNEA, and we had so much fun. Ooh, we had a fun situation come up. You you want to hear this one, Demetrius? I did. I'll try to make it quick because uh, it's kind of a, an abstract idea. So basically, we're playing. Uh, we play. We're playing the team that ended up winning the event, and uh, so basically, they they break the balls in scratch, and the table's wide open for solids, but not for stripes. Stripes are a little bit tough. So I have to shoot with ball in hand from the kitchen, my first shot. And there's a three and a nine ball that are kind of tied up together. And it doesn't really look like the three will go, but the nine ball will. So what that ends up happening is I eye up a bunch of times whether or not this three ball is going to go. I decide that it won't. Or at least I decide it's not safe enough for me to shoot the shot. But I've been eyeing it up for like the last, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, whatever it is. And I end up shooting the shot, which is the nine ball into the side pocket. But in making that, I also made the three ball. There is no coaching in this event. So oh, I can't God. even tell her. I can't even tell her if we have stripes or solids or it's a foul. Oh,
2: she thought she, <laughs> she thought you
1: guys were solids.
0: Yeah. So she, so. Because I can't tell her, she has to guess as to whether or not we're stripes or solids. (laughs) How weird of a situation is that? I've been playing this game for like 25 years. She's been playing the game for seven years because she's way younger than me. And we have never had that happen between the two of us.
1: That's funny. I've never
0: even heard of it. So she ended up guessing wrong.
2: And uh, yeah, we ended up uh, getting right out on. Okay. You know what? This just reminds me. I got a a one-liner. I was playing a Scotch doubles tournament with Josh one time. And we were, we were winning this match, so and we were having fun with our opponents, so we were having a good time, so this was not out of line, what I did. But we were on the hill, we were probably up like 5-1 in a race to 6, and the 8-ball was right on the spot. Uh, or maybe it was where you rack it. It was somewhere, I thought it was about on the spot. And, and Josh, when he played shape for the 8-ball, he landed the cue ball, like he kind of lost the cue ball, and it landed in the dead middle of the table, where it would be a little bit of an awkward cut on either side, going towards, your cue ball's going towards the corner, on, and it was like you couldn't have placed it more on the 50-yard line. So anyway, you know, but it's a bar table. I'm probably going to make the shot, so it's fine. So anyway, I got up there. I kind of looked at Josh, and I got up, and I walked around and started aiming the 8 in one corner with my cue stick, like a beginner, you know, kind of aiming it in, kind of thinking. Then I went around and looked at it the other way, kind of went back and forth. I reached into in my pocket, flipped the coin, called it in the left-hand pocket, and shot it in. It was kind of fun. So anyway, maybe she had to flip the old coin.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, who knows? I I, I thought it was fun. And, and of course we're on, we're on the stream table for this too. So I would have totally cheated and got away with it, but I was on the stream
2: table. You were on, on tape. You're but if there like had
1: been, been a
2: Calcutta, you would have just gobbled it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cold. Well, it depends if we yeah. had our half, you know,
0: so. <laughs> That's right. No, I, just, <laughs> I just, I just thought that was a funny situation. It was uh it was a bummer. We were playing good too, but anyways, neither here nor there. All right. So let's move on. Um, Do we want to talk about, let's talk about Fedor now. I think that's, I think this is like the most interesting thing in the world because basically the the big knockout about pool is you can't make any money doing it. Now we're talking about one of the top, (sighs) nobody in the world is going to argue that Fedor is not a top five pool player, right? I I don't think that anybody's going to argue that, right? Okay, so you're taking a top five pool player in the world and you're throwing him around to these regional events where he's playing, you know, the top players that he's playing against are like, Warren Kiamko and Alex Pegulian. And I'm not trying to say that these guys aren't good players. What I'm trying to say is, over the course of this much time, at least Alex with his game where it's at right now, Fedor is going to come out ahead most of the time. Well, it turns out he's going to come ahead every single time, basically, because we're here is the money standings of the year. <laughs> Joshua Filler has won everything that there is to win, basically, this year. <laughs> and he is $20, $25,000 short of Fedor. And every single week, Fedor just adds another like twenty thousand to this count, basically.
1: And and here's Point. here's the added to that is that Fedor's out, you know, uh, output cash wise to be go in, enter and stay at these events is about twenty five percent of what Josh's is for the event that he's going to to make his money. So the yeah. net net is even the difference in the net net is even more astronomical. Right. Uh,
0: well, first off, we can no longer say that there is no money in pool because we are basically at the exact halfway point uh, in the year. And we're going to end up, so I remember about five, six years ago, something like that, there was two players over $100,000. And I'm like, oh, that's not very great. Uh, this year, we're going to have a minimum, it looks like, of, I don't know, 10 players over 100000 I I would, although a lot of the bigger events are, you know, earlier on in this season, but there's still plenty of big events later on in the calendar that we're probably going to end up right around 10 players over $100,000. That, to me, that's nuts.
2: It's crazy. Yeah, but the only thing when people, when you say that, like, you know, you can't say there's no money in pool. If you look at that payout list, I see Canada, I see Spain, I see, you know, Greece, I see U.S. I'm sorry, uh, Ocean, is he, um, I want to make, is he? austria okay that's right and then you know poland so it's like you see germany so you see russia it's like you see every different country represented in that top 10 list which means that you've got one player in the u.s that's going to make 100 grand and one player in russia that's going to make 100 grand and so then you got to look at like how many players are trying to be part of it so when we talk about there's no money in pool we're not saying if you are you just you know we just agree fedor is a top five player so we're not saying if you're a top five player in the world that's exactly, you know, you and Filler and Shane are winning world championships and international. Like if you can win multiple international events a year, you can make money in pool. But if you're if you're, um, you know, Chris Melling or if you're John Mora or if you're Tyler Steyer or if you're me or if you're you or all the way. down like there's there's no money for in pool except for the top five or 10 spots. That's that's what I would say. And that the and that as those top five or 10 spots start getting paid more. The number, the hundreds of players that are fighting for those spots gets deeper and more competitive. So I, I think the proportions, the, the the payouts at the very top change, but the proportions don't change, and the life for the majority of pool players don't change.
0: That's that's
2: it. I I definitely can't
0: disagree with that. I I guess the the thing I'm most the most thing I'm trying to point out from this is like two years ago there's going to be two players over a hundred thousand dollars, and now. Now there's going to be 10. So, I mean, theoretically, what's it going to look like in five years with the same level of growth? I, I'm more or less pointing out, like, I th- I think that there's some serious growth that's happening in the last five years. And, I, I mean, that could be Predators, you know, the addition of their tour, Um, you know, all of matchroom adding, you know, two more events with the UK Open and, well, actually really three more, uh, four more if you want to count their acquisition of the, the US Open, but that's not really a new event. But uh, the Premier League pool, which, you know, I guess it doesn't really affect that many players. It's only what uh there was I don't know like 25 players or something like something that.
1: Something like that, yeah. 21. Yeah.
0: Um but you know another the European Open that they're going to be adding, the UK Open. I mean, they're all of these are 3 300, 300,000 ish uh prize purses. You add a bunch of those and who knows. It's and regardless, if... it's it's pretty cool to see that it's happening.
2: Yeah, you're, you're right. There is a funny comment about how Dennis can't play now, and and you know with Matt with Fedor being unable to play in the matchroom events, there is a funny. I never really thought about that, but I mean because you just think that these tournaments have 128 players plus, and you know what's one or two entries. But when you take out you know not just James Aronis but Dennis and Fedor out of matchroom, like Dennis and Fedor. You know, when you get to guys yeah, so like
0: Dennis, Miller... Dennis, Dennis. Dennis can play match room. Dennis Dennis can play match room. The thing is Dennis just can't get to the US. So ah, he can't play. I'm sorry. These, I'm sorry. Okay, same might... fade or... Yeah.
2: You're thank you. So the I, the point is though is if you look at like a filler or an Albin or a Shane, of course anybody can take a set off them, but like the number of people that can actually win the tournament. Are, there's only a handful of people that can win an event like that. And so when you remove a couple of the guys that could win, it does kind of give all the other guys that can win a raise because they're going to get their, their market share on the international events goes up. Meanwhile, you've got then you've got, you know, that are kind of dropping down into like the, the regional Calcutta events or whatever. It is kind of funny. So in a way. As a, if, it's almost like if if they were gonna team up like you're talking to the Calcutta. If 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 filler and Albin and and uh and Fedor got around and said how we're we gonna make more money between the group of us, they'd be like, Okay, we'll take the international events, you hit the regional events, we'll bring in more money for everybody this way. It almost worked out better for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to be honest with you. And like you I'm take a year
1: sure off I, and play the regional events. Yeah, we'll yeah.
2: flip flop it. Yeah.
1: I'm
0: pretty sure I'm pretty sure at one point in time I said that Fedor was gonna be leading this i i feel like i got to go back and listen to those some podcasts I, I i think i predicted that fedor was going to lead the money count because he's every single weekend like you say whatever you want about joshua filler's year i mean it is absolutely incredible what he is doing this this year so far to uh the whirlpool masters when the you can't
1: compare fetters year to to fillers i don't no, care it's not what i don't cool. care what the money says
0: no, 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 no that, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like fillers won almost everything. And it just shows that if you go to a tournament every single weekend and make $10,000 every single weekend, money-wise, it doesn't matter how many of these big events, there's just not enough of them for Joshua to win to, to, to catch ask, up and pass Fedor.
1: Every weekend. Fedor, ask, but ask Fedor if he'd rather change places with Joshua. Right
0: oh, now. no, of course not. I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to insinuate that. What I'm saying yeah. is like these events – while you know small and they're ten thousand dollars at a time ten thousand dollars every single weekend because you know you don't have dennis to play against you don't have dd you know another player that goes to a lot of these events you don't have even the us players now like the top us players like sky woodward like he's not going to any of these events hardly at all either because he's he's barely going to the big ones so you know a lot of the the players that used to frequent these things they're not and justin bergman's another one of those players that he just won't leave so it's like his competition is obviously still tough with, you know, players like Goran Kiamko, Alex Pegulai, and all these players that are still going to these things, but he's just a different level of player. He's gonna win it ten thousand almost every single weekend.
1: It's an opportunity for some, you know, younger players who want some good season to get into those tournaments. And if you spend your whole year finishing second to fetter you're learning a lot and you probably still make a pretty good chunk of change.
2: Yep. Yep. I and, I guess and- I think it's, a, no, I think it's a, it's very, very funny. And, uh, but Hey, I saw Tony Chohan was up there with 70 grand. What did Tony do? I, uh, I was asleep at the wheel. I would assume
0: that that is a gamble.
2: Oh, okay. yeah. So, um,
0: I mean, I, I, I think that this this takes into account gambling matches too. And I'm I'm struggling to think back to a big gambling match that he's had this year. I know he played, I know he played chip, but chip. I yeah. thought that was last year. I could be wrong on that, but I thought that was last year. I mean, Based off this list, I would have to assume that it was um recent though. Because I feel like if he would have had $71,000 at the beginning of the year, he would have been leading the list the whole time. Oh yeah, he hit the Buffalo one pocket. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yep, okay, okay, right. okay. Yeah. Okay, yep. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one hundred and fifty
2: two K Calcutta. That is so gross, man. That's unbelievable. Oh, that,
1: that was good. That Calcutta was a circus.
2: <clears throat> yeah, um, I
1: don't know. Man. I don't yeah, I, I don't I'm not sure that they include the Calcutta money and AZ thing but he no he I, I don't won. think they
0: do that but yeah. but like but if, uh, like if one we,
1: packet events yeah Tony yeah, yeah. has done pretty well I'll think I think
0: I, think, uh, I uh, think if they like if, if Shane and like uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong on this did like when uh Dennis and Sky played for the 250,000 no or the they didn't add that no okay all right so I I was under the impression they did but I, I I'm wrong on that I I will
2: back down okay I got a quick survey for you two in the chat everybody in the chat what is the most money that you've personally come out of pocket and bought someone in the Calcutta? Now I am okay. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm on the one hand, I feel like I'm kind of a nit because compared to like some of my peers, I'm not some go off where I just bet everything I have. And I don't have a ton of heart and gamble according to like some, some guys, but like, I'm not afraid to mix it up either. And so like, for me, the most money I've ever come out of pocket personally on is like 1400. I've done that a couple of times. I bought Shane one time for 1400 in a regional event. And I bought uh. Last one was when I got uh, James Aranis at that tournament like a year ago. And I and me and Jesse Engle went halves and we spent 1300 apiece. We went in for 2600 to buy Aranis, um, and, and it hit pretty big. But for me, like I can that was only twice that I've ever spent more than a thousand myself on a Calcutta. For the most part, I'm buying half myself for 300. You know what I mean? Uh, so where I, I just i'm blown away i'm blown away by where this money comes from like who are the people that are spending all this i mean how much what's your number what's your number mike what's the that's biggest stuff, number
1: that's stuff you don't want to know about is who the guys are who bring yeah. up up to 152 thousand dollars all right that's scary you just, you just stay away from them and, and hope for the best
2: i don't want to ask yeah. don't ask questions <laughs> that's right okay
1: it's <laughs> tony soprano and uh yeah
0: okay Gotcha. I think the most I've I think the most I've ever actually bought. I'm a knit when it comes to Calcutta's too. Like I love taking like stabs and just like buying some random player I've never even heard of for uh like twenty bucks or something in a Calcutta when nobody when nobody's like, actually at the Oshkosh open this year I uh I there was some <laughs> player who wasn't there and uh i liked his name I, I was the one auctioning off the players at the the oshkosh open and i just liked his name i thought it was a cool name so i i spent i threw a 20 at him he ends up taking second in the tournament and that's me uh 750 <laughs> so and he never had himself he wasn't there so he never got his half in the calcutta so I, I gave I some threw him jelly a, yeah i throw i threw him a little bit i threw him a little bit <laughs> but i'm like i just like his name so i bid on him
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah uh, it was fun um no, I think the most I've ever spent, of like maybe buying half of myself at like. No, I I had to a button. I usually if I get up above four hundred in the Calcutta, I don't. I usually don't even get my half. Uh, maybe maybe three hundred, maybe. 400. Yeah, that's that's normal. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I can't think of anybody else that I uh spent more on. Do you ever partake in Calcutta's, Mike?
1: No. It's against. Have you ethics. ever 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 once? No, no. I mean, I'm like I'm. Right for a magazine. I'm not going to go to a, a match and start gambling on people. It's bad style, bad form.
0: Does that mean I shouldn't be partaking either? I feel like it I'm... Uh...
1: Depends on how you treat your job. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ouch. It no, in just, te- just teasing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's fun. Um, okay. So... Is there anything else we want to talk about on this list? Uh, pull it back no, up no I right. think,
1: like I said, though, I, th- I think Feder. you know, it's it's amazing. It's, it, you know, it's probably not surprising that he's crushed these regional events like this. And like I said, his net's got to be way up because his cost of entry is, is so small and staying in these little places is so small. But I got to believe you talk to him toward the end of the year, he's going to be one miserable son of a gun. And, and I still feel bad for him every day. I don't care how many tournaments he wins. It just can't be fun for him.
0: Well, I I think he could probably get away with blowing his nose with some of those $100 bills by the end. Of
1: the year.
0: <laughs> so that's got to be at least a little bit he Um, He may.
1: You know, hopefully he's back playing by the end of the year because I know that the uh, WCBS is having a, a meeting at the uh, World Games, and I know that uh, – discussion is going to be have about lifting the ban on and russian and belarusian players uh for the remainder of the year so we'll see what comes out of that i'd love to see him back in action i know that's what he wants
0: sir sure. is there any other surprises that you guys uh i guess looking at this list you uh you think it's interesting
2: no i think it's pretty much i mean you know gorst filler van boning and then you know shaw you know, uh, it's it, and it's first half of the year, I think it's pretty much what you'd expect. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, if there's any surprise not on this list, do you, Do you, well, I guess my, my big surprise on this is it's like the first time ever that you don't see Dennis on this list, but I guess that's probably directly tied to the U.S. ban. And yeah, Jason... And if-
1: jason is playing a lot and he's oh no he is right up there i'm sorry yeah, jason's number
2: five Albin, i guess i would have expected i, I mean, and it's early enough in the year but i i am you know where's uh i guess elvin's big events were last year huh yeah
0: well he won the premier league well, pool yeah. um that was but that i think that only paid like twenty five thousand. so yeah runner up
2: at the runner up at the world championships i'm actually kind of surprised it's as low as it is yeah, you know, that just goes to show when you talk about the money at the top of pool, it's easy to look at the people that are hitting. But when you think about Alvin, who's a player that, you know, you and I are in agreement that he might be, if he's not the best nine ball tournament player in the world, he's one of the top two or three. I mean, it's him, Filler and Fedor, you know, I mean, really, you know, it's top five for sure with Sean and, and, and Shane. So then it's like when you've got anybody that's like a top five in the world tournament player. That's that's below fifty grand. I, I guess it's the first half of the year. We'll see where it shakes out at the end of the year.
1: Yeah, sure. And, and there's there's a lot of movement on this, list, especially early in the year. Through right. one tournament, you, yep. you finish in the top four in one of the big tournaments, and all of a sudden you go from eighty second to sixth. So um, as this as the year goes on, and as the as the tournaments pile up, uh, then we'll see where everybody really at. We'll see yeah, and that's why where I
2: came from, we always used the rolling average. I mean, I came from a anyway, I came from a sales background, and we never looked at like you know, we never look at like what you did, you know, on the fifth of the month or where you're at in two months in the year. We'd always look at like a rolling average of what your last X number of months looked like, and then averaging it out so that you're always looking at a historic. You know, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's fine. All right, what else we got, Nate? Well, bring it on. To talk to-
0: we can talk about the uh, World Cup of Pool, if you guys would like. That could be fun. By the time that we play or do another podcast, it will be underway uh, with day one. So um, I guess let's take a look at this. Here is the official draw for the tournament.
1: Yeah, well, start, U.S. starting out against Canada is a really tasty uh, first-round match. Uh, yeah, John, well, that's, John that's, Moore that's and Alex, up
0: to me first, too.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great opening match. Uh, obviously, unfortunate for the uh the local brits that they're playing both a and b are playing each other in the first round that was a cold roll
0: yeah that well luckily for them their uh their transportation's a lot easier than the rest of them so uh yeah true. <laughs> one of true. them's going home early but uh they're not going to have that huge investment that the you know someone like south africa will
1: yeah no i think that that bottom right hand corner there i mean you know uh, Poland against North China South. and the U.S. against Canada. That's and the winner plays each other. That's that's a, that's a pretty tough way to get out of the gate.
0: Yeah, and you throw Japan in there as well, and even the Hungary. Uh, you know that could be that could be a pretty brutal draw to get out to the the semifinals. Yeah. What? Uh. Let's uh. Let's look at the. Does anybody else have any? I guess big jump outs that uh, that come off for you.
1: Uh, no, not right, right, right out of the gate. Yeah.
0: I think, uh, I mean, if there's anything that I'm kind of interested in, uh, the Chinese Taipei and Argentina, cause if I'm not mistaken, the Argentina team made a pretty deep run two years ago and then wasn't, they, they weren't back last year. And I just remember the Argentina team, like they're basically billiard players. And so they're like really high off their queue and they're shooting almost standing up. And I just remember it was like, it was such a weird thing to watch, but man, did they cue the ball good. And I think they ended up winning two matches before losing, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So
0: I think that could be a that could be a fun matchup that, uh, you know, you'd never expect an Argentina team to be able to do that. Uh, But they did it once. And I don't know, it's a it's a pretty brutal draw with uh, Chinese Taipei. But if you're gonna want to have to play a team like that, you want to do it early on. So yeah, maybe maybe there's an opportunity for a, a potential upset. Who knows?
1: Who do you like as a favorite and who do you like as a dark horse
2: demetrius you want to go first you know i don't know the players on every one of these teams like great britain a and great britain britain b so i i just don't know i know that efren came out of like you know he's playing for the team philippines which i'm a huge Efren fan but that's not necessarily the you know the best chance uh efren can still play amazing pool but Tournament format, start and stop, weird table conditions for, you know, I don't know. I just don't know that that's going to be, you know, he might be a little patchy at times. So it'd be hard to go with the Philippines. I guess, um, who are, who's on Great Britain A and B?
0: A is uh, Jason Shaw and Elliot Sanderson. Uh, Great Britain B is Chris Melling and Imran
2: Majid. Right. Imran Majid. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about, it. Okay. Yeah,
1: I Imran don't know. I um, had a good run at the uh, at the UK Open. The UK Open, here he's the he last player standing. Well. Yeah, uh,
2: and then so who's who's Filler playing with for Germany?
1: Torsten. Thorsten.
2: Yeah, I mean that's an interesting team. What about the dynamic? I mean, maybe maybe Thorsten and Filler might be the favorite, and then maybe I take Poland. Can I call Poland a dark horse? No, uh, <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's, it's tough too right. Yeah, had Wojtek <laughs> and uh, Mieszko Fortunski.
1: Boy,
2: I, mean, I don't know man. That's that's a good team, but it's but it's hard for them to win the last match or two, you know what I mean? Those are plus they've got to play a tough match right away and, and first two rounds they're coming out of the gate pretty tough. So just where they're at on the bracket, I think it's pretty tough for them, but I um yeah, I think Germany, I think um Thorsten and Filler, I'd have to pick them. Or maybe maybe uh who's Chinese foot Taipei? Is it the Cole Brothers? Yes. Yeah, the Cole Brothers. Uh, I think those two, those two. I mean, how do you yeah, there, there's probably there's no good
1: dark teams. horse There's some good I teams. Mean, so those there's are, a question those...
0: out there. Why does Why does Great Britain get two teams? The host country always gets two teams. So the this has been held in the UK for the last few years, and so they get two teams every year. Last year they got three teams because Canada had to pull out at literally the last second. So that's why we got the Darren Appleton and Carl Boyce
2: uh, team. Yeah. For my dark horse is a uh, is is where's Estonia? Who's that? Is that Mac? Le- is that Max Lekker? Is he from Estonia? Dennis
1: Grava. No. Oh, it's Dennis, Dennis Grava. Yeah.
2: Okay, my, my mistake. Okay. Max Luckner's from uh, uh Austria. Yeah, he's okay, I was I was the, actually mixing those two up. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, He,
1: he okay, makes so. them a really strong team too, Austria with uh Max playing this year with with Albin. I mean Mario he was always yeah. great with Albin, but Max and Albin are, you know, uh, you know, sewed so together at the hips. So I think that they're gonna be a tough they're gonna be a tough duo to handle.
2: Yeah. I just don't know what's going to happen. I'll just, I'll admit there's times when I have an opinion this time i am just overwhelmed. It's a weird format, scotch doubles, <laughs> pressure. Oh, yeah. I they love scotch seven. doubles. I love oh, I
1: scotch doubles. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I, well, I'll answer the question. I will give yeah. you my, I will give you actually the Philippines is my dark horse. And I know I kind of dogged on, uh, you know, the idea of having effort in there, although it's, it's a genius marketing move, but I just think that, you know, like I said, uh, two weeks ago, podcast, I think it's, it's a genius marketing move. It is not the best team that you can create, but that's not what Matchroom is about for this event. So it doesn't really matter. Right. right. It's a, this is basically a TV event and TV events are going to be, you know, as good as and interesting as you can make them. So, but honestly, I, I'm looking at their draw here and I, I'm not, a, I'm not against their draw. I think they have actually probably the softest draw of anybody that you can put out there. Who's that? the philippines the i mean philippines? south africa they have they do they oh, do have on. a great you team. Have to go, they're going they, jason, they have to go
1: through my favorite which is spain
0: well just well, to get I'm to saying, the semis well what i'm saying is once you get to that point you know you're two matches in at that point and i and i could see them beating you know jason theron is a is a great player out of south africa but you know i don't i i don't hate their chances there if you line no. them up individually i don't know that the south africa's second best player is plays as good as Efren. and I know that uh Jason does not play as good as Carlo so you know I think that and then you look at the the Great Britain A it, that's basically going to be Jason or well I mean it's it's tough but I, I would assume Jason and Elliot are going to win that match although they've never played together and Elliot's never really been on that stage um I, I guess he's he's lucky he's not going to have, have to play with uh, Dennis Grava as his partner Dennis might kill him <laughs> I don't I don't see why the Philippines wouldn't be able to beat a team like that. Uh and yeah. get out to the semifinals. And once you get out to the semifinals, you know, it's still a race to seven. I don't see a reason why they wouldn't be able to, you know, take out one,
2: you well, know, one big matchup with Spain.
1: Get your story and you're sticking to it. I'm all for it. Well, I'm to gonna be honest,
2: interject. I've got my dark horse. I do have a dark horse pick. I'll take it for my dark horse, I'll take Kuwait.
0: Okay, That's also a pretty uh non dark horsey dark horse. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, are you surprised that uh Yusuf's not part of that team? I mean, I think he's the I, best Kuwaiti be player. I, player best, in the past I was going to say,
0: I, I was going to say, I think he's more deserving than uh, Omar at this point. Yeah. I mean, Omar's Omar had a magical run last year, from basically the uh, the Lost Diamond Las Vegas Open all the way up until I don't know the the, the it's certainly the Michigan Open. Um, and he hasn't really done all that much since, right. although he's, you know, he's still a great player. Of course, no one's going to question that. But
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, still, st- I think it's a great team. Yeah. But and, but to go back to your Spain point, like I'm not saying that Spain is not obviously on paper, maybe the strongest team. I, I don't. You know, I, I think you can make argue. a serious argument for Austria and uh Germany as well. But I mean if you remove those two teams, I don't I don't see any team on paper that's better than them. But they've had the same team for how many years now and they haven't had a run in this. In fact, I, I mean I can't. Francisco's really
1: hitting his Francisco's really hitting his stride now. He's well he he's,
0: he is. I, I agree with that, but David Al Qaeda was hitting his stride the last few years, right? Is is yeah. David at that level that he was
2: two years ago? I, I, I don't he know.
1: He came close I at mean, the UK Open.
2: Yeah, he's, yeah. He's playing exceptionally well. Yeah. I I I watched a batch of his ringside not all that long ago, and it was one of the most inspirational performances I've seen outside of Fedor. and, and he
1: does he does pretty well traditionally in those short race matchroom, sure. you know single elimination gamble type of type of things like you know Whirlpool match things like that. He's played pretty well, um, yeah. you know. So so I would think you know on paper just based off recent performances, both finishing in the top four and in the UK Open. Uh, Spain, you know, would probably be the favorite on paper. I like. Did you pick your dark horse, Nate?
0: My dark horse is the Philippines.
1: Okay.
0: And my my favorite would be. I mean, I I think that the whole Max Leschner, um to yeah. the team instead of Mario He. I mean, that's a really interesting dynamic. I, it's just it's just hard to really say that. But I think Austria on paper is the most talented. I think that they have the best team. But it's hard for me to want to pick them when it comes to, you know, a, a favorite because you've never seen Max and Alvin play together, but I, I would have yeah. to go with Austria if I was going to pick a team. That's a good choice. Yeah.
1: And that's, that's what I'm going with. Mostly, you know, in, in large part, I I think Spain is, is equal to them talent wise this year right now, as we're talking, but um, I like Austria's, if I was looking at the weakest bracket for them to get to the final or, or the, you know, the semifinal, I like their, I like their chances. When I look at the rest of the other seven teams, uh uh in their part, you know, their bracket, Man, I, 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 I like that's... their chances the best.
0: Man, I don't I do not agree with that at all. <laughs> I, I think Estonia, I mean Estonia makes a deep run every year and then Kuwait, they're gonna have to go through Kuwait. I think that's I think that's significantly tougher.
1: We'll see.
2: <laughs> we should have our own Calcutta after the pod guys. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
0: that would be fun. Uh I, I guess going into uh somebody asked about what we think about the team USA. Uh I mean I, I think the team USA always is on paper right up there. I don't I don't see team USA as significantly weaker by any stretch of the imagination of Austria and uh Spain. I, I think they're a little bit below them, but you know they never you know, when you put Sky and uh, Shane on the same team, they never really—they always underperform. I would say their expectations.
1: Well, I think that the Sky we reached double- the final a couple of years ago.
0: Sure, but I think if I think if you what, how many times have they played together now? About six times, something oh, like that.
1: I don't, I don't think so. I I, I could be wrong, but I, I did not think they played together in the World Cup that many times.
0: Well, I know they three, played three together. Or four. I would say at least four. Um, I I mean, I guess if if I told you that they played together five times, let's say they played together five times, they got to the final once and the other times they never won more than one match. Do you think that would be a success or a failure based off of where they based on? Yeah. I I mean, I would, I would think that too. I I think that that team is certainly a top three team every single year.
2: I think that when you look at, Two things. So if you look at just ability, I mean, the U.S., you know, Sky and Shane as a team play as well as any team in here. There's no – and there's really sure. no question I in agree. my mind. Um, when it comes to when it comes to a couple of things, which is, like, just, like, positive energy, de- determination, desire, and the ability to, like, you know, you're going to have – these are, you know, going to be sudden death, short sets, lots of pressure, lots of do-or-die situations. And when it comes down to, like, who – Who's going to have the desire? Who's going to have the positive energy and the ability to just snatch the, the the things they need to do and make those little in between you know awkward spots go their way when they need it to? Uh, I think the U.S. will do that some of the time and, and and may win some matches, but I just think match after match, there's other teams. That, that might do that better. And I think Elbin and Max uh, is a great example. I think uh, Filler and Thorsten uh, is a great example. I just think that the two, you know, in this format, in this format, I don't know that it's going to be their strength. I, I'm not saying they can't win. I just don't think this format lends itself to the strength that those two have as a team.
0: I don't hate it. And if uh if Lonnie is right, then uh they've played together three times. And if they got to yeah. if they played together three times and that's that's correct, and they got to the finals once, I would consider yeah, that I, a success. Yeah, I that's don't a think success. They played five times.
1: And I yeah, you're I, I think I probably agree with her. I think it's only been about three times.
0: It seems yeah. I don't know, it just seems like it's been more than that, but you know I don't know. I'll I'll defer to uh to your judgment on that one. Well, but if it is three, Fox. I think that's a success. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go Lonnie. <laughs> okay, so um I guess is there anything else we want to discuss as far as the uh the World Cup of pool No, I'm looking forward to it I actually yeah. this so is like a... one of my favorite events yeah. Just the, the scotch double dynamic is yeah the yeah, scotch doubles I to be honest with you I, I I would how cool would it be to uh extend this out to uh, a man and woman scotch doubles too like a separate event that'd be a fun lot would that of fun be? that'd
2: be a lot of fun
1: yeah It'd be fun. I just wish, I wish the player, I know they're mic'd up. I wish the players would talk more about their decisions because that's the, that to me is the interesting part about the the dynamic with the, with the Scotch doubles is okay. This is where I want to go. This is where I'd like to go based, based on you being my partner. Where do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with that? Um, I kind of like that side of it.
2: And well, this, is clock, Mosconi, right? this is not
1: my this is not my cup, so I think that they could have a little more fun with it, the players, and you know, there's a lot of money at stake. Uh, but but I, I I'd like to hear them talk a little more.
0: I think that I think to do that you'd have to extend the the shot clock. I feel like. I don't think that you how how in depth of a conversation can you have in thirty seconds and still have. I well, don't want to learn too? how to
1: play. I don't want to learn how to play pool from it. They could make fun, they could make fun of each other for all I care too, or or <laughs> you know Rodney and Earl used to always say, "Look, I can't believe you left me this straight or whatever," and and have some fun with it. I'd like to see them get a little more, um, you know, viewer value out of it.
2: It's funny. I've played a ton of scotch doubles with Josh, and the longer we've played scotch doubles together, the less we've said to each other when we play. I'm sure. Now that might be because we just know we just know we've done it so many times. We know, you know, but but I see there's an interesting dynamic. There's a lot of mistakes people make playing Scotch doubles. And for you know what? I'm gonna share them because there's a podcast and we've got people watching. So here's some of the mistakes that you can make playing Scotch Doubles. First of all, you never you never apologize and you never you never Get angry with your opponent with your partner, and you never apologize to your partner. You just assume your partner's going to make mistakes, and when you make mistakes, you're like, "Hey, man, I put you there. You're going to have to deal with it." Like that's the first rule, uh, and people don't always do. But then the other thing is, if your partner is struggling, you have to have unwavering belief that your job is not to try to like compensate for them by going above and beyond what you could do and try to get them better on the ball or instead of playing for the corner, I'm going to go multiple rails and play them for the side or I'm going to try to get them closer and then you overdraw and stick them next to the ball where they're frozen to the ball because you're trying to get them closer or you were afraid that if you left them that shot, they might miss. So you missed your ball trying to get close. Like what you have to do is you have to play your game, your job. You can't, if your partner's going to dog it, they're going to dog it. But what you have to do is you have to give them opportunities to dog it because you can't dog it, worrying about if they're going to dog it. So you have to just keep setting them up. And if they fail, then keep setting them up again. And you have to have belief that if you keep giving them opportunities, that they'll turn it around and that they'll come out of their funk. Because that's what players do. They go through ups and downs. And then when you're going through a down, you can't apologize. And you can't feel like, oh, no, I'm going to let them down again. You know, hey, it's their job to give me opportunities. And if I miss a few, then I'll try again. And so so these are the mindsets you have to have. And so it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know how much these people have played scotch doubles with each other, but uh, it took it took me and Josh a while to get a really good groove where we could do all that stuff. And you just have to make the decision. I'm going to play it the way I want to play it. I'm going to play it to where I'd want to play from, and he's going to have to deal with it. And, and then that's the way it has to work. In, in other words, if you start making adjustments for your partner, the odds of making positive adjustments versus the odds of over adjusting to the point where it's destructive, you're better off making almost no adjustments, sticking with your game plan and being really, really patient with yourself and with your partner. And uh, it'll be fun to see how that plays out.
1: Yeah. Have you ever ever played with a left-handed player and how did that affect how you played shots?
2: Well, that's a great question. So I play with my uh, students. I have a student come out every week and during the course of the week, we'll usually play some scotch doubles together uh, because that's a great, it's one of the best ways to take mental breaks and practice what we're working on. And, and then they get one of the cool parts too, Mike, is a lot of the players that come out and train with me when they're playing scotch doubles with me, I can do a lot to keep them in line, give them shots they can make, recover a little bit if they start getting funny. And then they get the feeling of what it feels like. And then a lot of times I just call the shots, tell them what I where I want me to whatever where I want them to put me, knowing what their skill set is and how they can deliver. And with me leading through the racks and making half the shots, they get a chance to flow through racks in a way that they they've either never shot that good or they've never had the racks go so easily and naturally. So it's a great it's a great in a lot of ways, what they learn from that and what they experience. But, uh, yeah, playing with left-handed players is definitely a massive challenge. And I've run into that because, uh, yeah, it's just, it's amazing how many dead zones there are that I wouldn't think about, you right. know? So yeah, I'm not saying I have that all solved. <laughs> I, uh, the biggest
0: thing, the biggest thing that I struggle with when I play for anybody who's ever met me out there and I actually got to meet some people. So I should give some shout outs here at, uh, at the end here, but, um, uh, I'm I'm a very tall person. I'm like six two, six two and a half, and shots that there is there is no such thing as a bridge for me playing on a bar table. So I play my shots literally, not even thinking that a bridge might be needed possibly. And when you when you do stuff like that, I did this uh, to uh, Lonnie in our first match. Like Lonnie's not the tallest person in the world, and I, I like left her a really long shot, and I. Like once you do it the first time, you're like, ah, hmm," you know, snap, boom. All right. Now I need to, now I need to be aware of this and where I'm going to leave my cue ball. But uh, yeah, it's like, I never even think about these things because I'm tall and it's the left-handed thing definitely comes up. But like, I, I feel like for me, what comes up a heck of a lot more than that is just shots that I have to leave them differently for, you know, not being able to reach stuff. Especially like length of the table over a ball type of things.
2: Because mm-hmm. I can still reach those and they, they have to use a bridge at that point. Yeah, if you leave me length of the table over a ball. <laughs> I, I told you I was pretty patient with my partner, but there's exceptions, Nate. There's exceptions. No, one, but but one thing too that I think that if people don't play scotch doubles, I think it's a great way to learn. Uh, there's there's a couple benefits that are really cool. Uh, Carl has just made a video uh, from the Josh Filler finish where Josh had had kind of shot a long seven ball and accepted a long nine ball. And, and basically, Carl made a video out of how he didn't try to do too much with a seven ball and how he split the difficulty between the two shots instead of trying to, like, do too much with the seven and miss it. And I think that when you play scotch doubles, it, it, it really illustrates, you know, a couple of things. It really helps you manage the balance between how much am I taking on versus how much am I going to get my partner to take on? It it kind of calls attention to those types of decisions in a way that you might not notice when you're playing on your own and you can learn from that. And I also think that, uh, you know, playing scotch doubles, you get to learn from, um, from your partner, uh, You can watch them play and be like, oh, I would have played that different. But when you're playing with somebody that plays it different, you might learn things about how to play the game because different people have different strengths. And you might realize, well, that's a better percentage. Or I would never have played it that way because I'm not very good at that shot. But maybe that's something I need to develop because I can see why, you know, my partner is able to make that work successfully. And I should I want to develop that skill. And I think, you know, you learn a lot playing scotch doubles. So I would encourage people to try that. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Um, and yeah, uh, uh, Ryan Harmson came every time he comes down to play at uh, the ballroom. He'll swing by the rock usually the night before. And we'll play, uh, I'll play him scotch doubles, switching back and forth between right and left handed. It's actually a very good tool to, uh, to work on your opposite handed <laughs> play. It's a lot of fun. But um, uh, I guess, is there anything else anybody has
2: to uh, discuss? Anything you guys have on your mind? No, I, we'll be at the Mad Apple. So I'll be at the Mad Apple on Saturday. And uh, Nate, you're going to be there, right? No. <laughs> oh
1: yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I guess yeah, I forgot about that tournament, but uh yeah. So I I'll, I'll you. that makes sense what Mike Gaines said earlier about he was he was excited to play with us this weekend. I'm like, "What what why am I playing with you?" And I thought I was playing, like I agreed to play a team tournament with him or something. I guess yeah, I guess I'm going to the Mad Apple to play.
2: Sweet. All right, see you there. <laughs> no, it's it's fun. So I appreciate them putting on events and uh they got some good things going on at the old Mad Apple. So, yep, thank you. Uh, I am uh I have I have not played on a bar table. It would be probably years. So I have very, very, and it's a handicap tournament. So I'm expecting that what's going to happen is I'm going to show up. I'm going to be giving games on the wire to somebody that's beating me without a spot and and just running out from everywhere. And, um, and I'll, I'll be spending some time on the rail. So uh, that's what I'm expecting. Uh, So, but it's going to be fun. It's just going to be fun to go hit some balls. Yeah. Drink, bring your drinking boots. Uh, We'll uh, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll have I'll a, I, a, I can have a, I, can, I can i'll have one beer once i get eliminated i'll have a beer with you
0: <laughs> perfect <laughs> all right so uh yeah i guess with that we'll close it out uh yes i plan on being there so if anybody else is going to the mad apple i plan on playing as well uh, i do want to give a couple shout outs to a couple of the uh the, the people that uh, i got to meet this past weekend at vnea so uh Huge shout out to uh, Katie Dyson, who actually followed me around for a few matches and watched me and cheered me on, even though I was playing against uh, Ben Francis and uh, Joe Spence, which are her, I guess, Canadian, I don't know, people, and she still rooted me on, so yay. Go, Katie. Uh, And uh, Jules. I got to meet Jules while I was out there, too. That was fun. I didn't really get to spend much time talking to him. I just Happened to brush past him while we were on our way to the pool, and he said hi. So that was fun. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a few people, but I'm sorry. I'll catch you. So 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 many people to thank. Yeah, there's. Yeah, I only have seven. (laughs) We only have seven listeners, so I got to meet two of the seven. I think
2: that's pretty good. That's not bad. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Shout out to Little Chris. Thanks, and we appreciate everyone tuning in. Thanks, Ryan. I'll. uh... Yeah, we'll catch you guys next time.
0: Yeah, it's fine that you didn't say good luck to me, Ryan, but that's cool. All right, let's, uh, let's close out then.
1: There was obviously right. a
0: Calcutta. Okay. All right, take care, everyone, and see you next week. Yeah.